From the fish-filled Midwest lakes to the deep woods of the north, upland prairies filled with pheasants to the whistling wings of duck ponds, this is Saturday Morning Fan Outdoors, your show for hunting and fishing tips, topics, and conversations. You can also send us a question or opinion by emailing us, booth at kfan.com. Here's your host, the fans, Captain Billy Hildebrand. On the nose, good morning one and all. Either get ready to lace up your leather boots, but more probably you're going to slip on some Crocs or some tennis shoes or maybe even go barefoot and walk into this day because it should be a, it should be a delightful day on this the ninth day of June where the sun arose, although we didn't see it here in central Minnesota, at 29 minutes after the hour of 5 o'clock this morning. And it will settle down in the western sky about 7 minutes after 9 tonight. And comparison, I was looking back on some things that we had on the show in January. Well, January 20th. The sun came up at 7.46, and it set at 5.03. So you keep that in mind, and there's quite a difference in the amount of daylight today. Aiming for a high in here at the lake, one degree less than in the Twin Cities, 59 right now, and it's all good. So uh, grab a cup of coffee or a can of Coca-Cola, or you could do it with two hands and double fist it with myself and my co-host who is in the big chair in studio in St. Louis Park, fresh off and revigorated after a vacation of maybe two days, I'm not sure, but he <laughs> was uh, he was there and he is back, and that would be Bob St. Pierre of Pheasants Forever. Good morning, my friend. Hey, good morning, Captain. How are you? I am doing spectacular. I... Uh... I love this time of year. Early early summer, fish are shallow, life is good. Well, you can't chase snow, though. What's wrong? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you were talking about what it was like March 20th, and I was saying, well, you know, we probably had, wasn't that blizzard April 20th? Thereabouts? Yeah, it was, yeah, I think it was something like that. Yeah, so the, the weather just keeps on changing. Well, and the birds in southwestern Minnesota are kind of taking it, the pheasants anyway, are taking it on the chin. They've had lots and lots of rain down there. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I was talking with some folks in South Dakota earlier in the week, and they're praying for rain as uh, as they are in um, um, southern Iowa as well. So like most years, what you say for one part of the country, like you know southern Minnesota, isn't necessarily true across the range so um now but you're right on the money right now is critical time for pheasants um june 10th is sort of circled on the calendar is the peak of the hatch which the fan has learned june 10th is tomorrow 
which means um, that pheasants across the range have um, either started hatching or they're going to be hatching here shortly. And if you get that those cold, wet, heavy rains, you have a real strong chance that um, that those broods, those young chicks, um, can die of exposure um, from wet uh, and cold weather this time of year. Um, and, and the bad news, if if they have a um, if they have an, um, a hatch and then they die of exposure, that hen pheasant will not nest again. So if the say two weeks ago, if they lost a nest because of um, you know a raccoon eats the uh, the eggs, that hen will will re-nest, find another place, and drop down another thir- you know couple of thirteen, fourteen eggs and start over again. But if they have a hatch and those chicks don't make it um that population isn't going to climb well and the same thing bob is true of most birds once any of the eggs hatch and they get the nest gets destroyed or predated or whatever it is they will not re-nest i know turkeys are that way and i believe grouse are that way too well, grouse, like pheasants, if uh, if the eggs are destroyed, they will re-nest. But if the chicks right. are killed, they won't. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. So right now, like you said, um, those heavy storms that rolled through, um, you know, timing is critical. If um, if those chicks haven't popped out of the those eggs, um, they're probably okay as long as they didn't. As long as it wasn't a gully washer and washed. Um, wash the eggs off the nest. Um, well, last year, Bob, one of the issues we had was the uh, the storms coming through with the hail mm-hmm. and also the cool weather, which, you know, the bugs didn't hatch. And there, there weren't many bugs for the initial offering for uh, the plate of these young birds. Well, I think the, <clears throat> the bug component is because of the drought in some, because water produces um, bugs pretty, you know, that's the key component. But if you look to the west, South Dakota and North Dakota really were, um, you know, had really arid conditions. Things didn't green up and bugs didn't, and didn't produce. And that's, that is a concern again this um um, this fall, you know, in places like Redfield, South Dakota, and um, down in southern Iowa, where they have been begging for rain, and things are are not um, greening up like they they should. Now, if we got some rain, you know, over the course of the next ten days, they'll be fine. Um, but it needs to come. I totally agree, Bob. Hey, I'm watching the ease off of a walleye tournament here on the lake today. And it just comes to mind how different it is than a bass tournament, because the bass the bass anglers usually are in the uh, the low profile boats with big engines, and the those V sixes roar, and behind it are rooster tails as they head up the lake, and now the walleye anglers are a much more subtle group with typically, not all the time, but typically a, a smaller horsepower outboard. And they're very quiet when they go by. And the, the bass guys, you can hear them all the way down the lake. <laughs> and these guys are silently going by one after the other. So it just kind of struck me kind of funny as 
the difference in the anglers too. So what uh, what kind of angler do you consider yourself these days? <laughs> One that can't catch fish. That's <laughs> what I am. Really? The, the, I, you were catching fish to beat the band uh, earlier in the season. Earlier this year, we did our share of catching, but I, I've I've been not uh, not shy about saying I've got one technique that works for me, and if that doesn't work, my spot, my one spot on the lake is void of fish, and man, I'm lost. Mm. I I told you before we came on the air, I gotta go. I gotta go find a lake. I gotta go hunting for a lake, so to speak, with some largemouth or smallmouth that are willing to bite, so I can at least get a fill of, of some tugging on the line. And, and um, will you be searching for smallies? Well, you know, I'm. I because I know you have a lake of what, up there that uh, has been historically pretty good to you for smallmouth bass. Yeah, there's a few lakes up here that are really good. One of them. Uh, a few, three weeks ago, both Eric and Chad and I went out, and I think we caught, I, the kids guessed 50-plus smallies, and it was just really, really fun, and they were all about the same size. They were about three pounds, three and a half, four pounds, and it was just a blast on really light line, and they're, and they're predictable. Uh, we caught some really nice panfish also, and that was fun because that was sight fishing, and they were the big black crappies, I mm. mean, really nice crappies. That was a, that was really fun, but you know, and I'll go catch some largemouth if I can too. And I, I love just pitching a jig into uh, some of the milfoil pockets and that, and. And I love dragging a tube across sand, and sometimes this time of year those smallies will come up. And no matter what some people say, and we've uh, they they say, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fish for uh, smallmouth bass. Well, all of a sudden they they always catch smallmouth bass. Well, I can't do that because if something else starts biting, that's what I'm fishing for now. <laughs> And I'm uh, I'm not ashamed to say that either because sometimes things just doesn't work out and well, if it wants to take a left turn you better take it. Uh, that's probably ninety nine percent of the population, right? Well, if, I agree. You know, if, if today, uh, you know, it's it's a pike bite. Well, today I'm a pike fisherman, Captain. That's it. Man. <laughs> That's it. I don't care what I got tied on the end of the line. It's working today, and that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, the key is what's tugging on the other end. Boy, it's so much fun. Mm. You know, and I, I again, our off-air conversation, I uh, the the new Solix Humminbird is absolutely incredible, and, and it's got the mega imaging, and I hadn't really experienced it until yesterday looking around, and I was searching both shallow and deep water, and it is so clear. I actually saw some fish, and I could tell which direction they were facing, and I could make out the shape of the tail. It was it was almost like a camera. Not quite, but it was as close as I've ever seen nice. on electronics, and it is so neat, and if people haven't seen it, 
they really need to take a look at it. Go to a, a sporting goods store and take a look at some of the demos because it's exactly what it looks like. I've got to I've got to get in a boat with you because I you know my my electronics I can tell the temperature of the water, <laughs> I can tell the depth, and it tells me you know it sends me an alarm that there's a fish down there. But I'll be oh, darned you got that turned on. <laughs> oh, you drive me nuts. <laughs> uh, well. I have it only turned on for big fish, Captain. Come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be darned if I've ever caught a fish based on one of those alarms. It's uh, the side imaging too, and I have uh, I have learned to lean on that so hard. You can go along, and J- Jeff Anderson was telling us on the Thursday show a couple of weeks ago what he's doing on Leech Lake, and it's exactly the same thing on the bodies of water I go to. You uh, basically you're doing your practicing or you're looking before you ever wet a line and you can see fish off to the side and you can just on the Solex, you just touch the screen and you can mark a spot. Hmm. And on that one, on some of the other ones, you just use the little uh, joystick and auger over and touch the send and then make a, a waypoint right there and then come back and begin to fish them. And you can, if there's no fish in the area, I mean, there's nothing wrong with fishing. Maybe you'll catch something, I don't know. But I pretty much look first and then fish after I, I find fish in an area. And it is, uh, it makes things much more efficient as the walleye guys kind of go relatively slowly by. <laughs> um, they're still going up the lake. And I avoided up the lake because all these guys were practicing. I didn't want to get in anybody's way yesterday. But I did find some big boulders out in deep water, out in 20, 21 feet of water. Hmm. And I didn't find fish on it. But, again, you can fish it if you want to, and I wanted to. So I fished it, and what did I catch? Same thing I caught all day long. (laughs) Nothing. Um, and it's it's fun though. Hey Bob, we need to take a pause and on our return, um, you're due for a story for us. How's that? <laughs> I'm ready to go, Captain. All right, buddy. We are going to take a very brief pause. It'll give you time to go fill up your coffee cup or you know, put some coke in a glass with some ice cubes in it and just put your feet back and maybe retie some baits and We'll get you along the way. Pat Micheletti is alive and well. I see him on social media again. And that's okay, Pat. Hold on, buddy, because we're going to catch some fish next. Right around the corner with Bob St. Pierre on Fan Outdoors. Cloudy Saturday morning. There's a boat with some horsepower heading up the lake. We're uh, Fan Outdoors coming your way. We're uh, talking fishing. And allow me to set the stage just a little bit because Bob is going to relate to you an experience he had that I have not had this year. And it all began up in Ely, Minnesota. We were up in Ely with the show a couple of few weeks ago, and we went 
to Lake Shagwa with a good friend of ours who lives up there, Steve Kleist. And we fished Shagwa and caught some fish, but Steve had different things on his mind. He wanted to catch more and bigger, and I was perfectly happy with what we were catching. And we caught smallies, we caught largemouth, we caught pike, and it was fun. But we uh, took one of Steve's canoes, a three-person canoe, and headed into a, a body of water that was a few miles from Ely and had wheels, uh, portage wheels on it. And we pulled it into the lake and pulled it out of the lake. And the walk was, the portage was, oh, I'm guessing three-quarter of a mile. And we got into a body of water, and Steve had told us ahead that this was a, a, a lake that had primarily crappies in it, some sunfish, and a few northerns. And we got back there, and it led sheer wall cliffs surrounding the that end of the body of water we were on, not a big lake. So we used a four-horse motor that he hadn't run since last year. And on that four horse, there's two side, two cylinders. Well, we didn't go real fast because one cylinder wasn't firing. But we got to the back end of the lake, and it totally changed. The dynamics of the body of water changed, and the sunfish were up shallow. And Bob was uh, was touting his white <laughs> twister tail and pink jig. Now, he had already made a believer out of Steve, and I was a little suspect still. I still am, actually, but I'm getting more <laughs> over it. And so he tied on his white twister tail. In the meantime, I'm tying on everything that my little four-inch tackle box would had been brought, had in it. And we were trying to catch fish, and we did. Bob caught most of them. I caught a few. Steve caught some. But they were really, really nice sunfish and a few with a few crappies mixed into it. And it was about time we probably caught, I'm guessing, 30, 35, 40 sunfish. And it was fun, great fun. And it was time to head back. So we got in and the, the trip to the lake was uphill both ways. I don't know how that works, but it was. <laughs> and we and got it, back. And, and you weren't pulling the canoe either. No, that was by choice. <laughs> I was pushing, and I didn't do much of that either because I was panting. My tongue was usually dragging on the ground. Uh, and so we got we got out of the body of water and had a very nice evening with Steve and his wife, Teresa. And it was memorable, and we had a great time. And the next morning we did the, the broadcast, and I'm packed up, and Debbie and I headed for here at the cabin. And Bob was going to take the long way, the short way home, and the long short way. <laughs> and he was going to do some angling on the way back because he didn't have places to go or people to see until later in the day. So now I will turn the story over to Mr. Bob Angler St. Pierre. <laughs> so I, you're exactly right. You It was Memorial, Saturday morning, Memorial weekend. We we. Got done with the show, had a wonderful breakfast at uh, the restaurant at the Grand Ely Lodge, and you and Debbie were, okay, you got the boys going to the cabin in Sock Center, and you're beelining it um, to Sock Center, and my family was coming from the UP to Minnesota, but 
uh, they weren't coming till late Saturday night. So the world was my oyster, as they say, Captain. I had, I had the entire day of Saturday to myself, and when I when that happens to me often, I put a uh, trampled by turtles CD <laughs> in the truck. Do you happen to remember the name of their new? album are you kidding i can't remember my date my name my own name from yesterday so so i i put in the album life is good on the open road captain uh-huh. oh yeah you hear that oh, i do oh yeah and i pointed the truck towards the boundary waters well part of the boundary waters and i drove out of ely and made my first stop at uh, White Iron Lake. And as you said, we were with Steve Kleiss the entire time we were in Ely, and I didn't have a boat. So I pulled into the boat launch. Nobody was there. I wasn't interfering with anybody launching. Got my light, little pink jig head, white twister tail, throw, threw it into the brown, murky depths of White Iron Lake, and out comes an 18-inch smallmouth captain. First cast. 18-inch smallmouth out of White Iron Lake and jump back into the truck and turn up the volume. And south I head towards on, on Highway 1, down towards Isabella, and I see this, this street sign on a gravel road, and it says, Grouse Lake. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Captain, I headed that direction. <laughs> Surprise? <laughs> and uh, while it wasn't the first cast, it was a couple casts in, um, pull out a largemouth. Oh, yeah, by the way, you know what lure I was using, Captain? Uh, the the uh, pool of popper. <laughs> White jig, pink twister tail, largemouth on the list. Heaven forbid. Jump back in the truck, turned up the volume. <laughs> and then I headed, uh, I guess it would be north. Um, I pulled up into this boat launch, and there was tons of vehicles parked at uh, Dumbbell Lake. You ever heard of Dumbbell Lake? It's right next to Grouse Lake, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it was a little ways from Grouse Lake, but it was heading. Anybody that fishes that must fish a white twister tail in the pink jig. <laughs> I don't think so, but but there was a ton of vehicles there, so I drove. I didn't I didn't fish at the launch, but I went around the corner and here there was this um, this fishing pier, and I, I had my polarized sunglasses on, and I, over in the like left bay, um, I could see a black spot right uh, there was a fish there i just didn't know what it was but before i stepped onto that pier and created any vibrations i threw the white twister tail out and you know you can see it white and pink and polarized glasses i'm watching this um this lure come back at me and i see this fish turn and then the lure disappears and i set the hook and my line went Zzz! And I walked out onto the pier, and here is a monster muskie uh, taking me back and forth underneath this pier. And I'm 
I've got four pound test line mono and my ultralight uh, panfish rod and this this muskie's going back and forth underneath uh, the um the the pier and you know all i'm thinking well, i gotta get a photo of this <laughs> and i tried to horse it in a couple of times and thankfully um the line didn't break i had my drag set properly and it uh, kept going out but uh, eventually after a couple uh, attempts to pull it towards shore um i got it up over the rocks and at the shore but uh both musky and bob were were pretty tired by that point and i i was a little worried because this 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 battle had fought that i had fought this fish for a while and i was nervous about um you know it's it getting it back in the water so um one thing about taking a selfie with a fish is um you know, the bigger the fish, the harder to take a selfie. This this was a monster fish, so I, I grabbed my photo and let that fish uh, back in the water pretty quickly, and um, it it swam off, and I walked out onto that pier, and this is a week before musky season is officially open, so um, I looked down, and there's an even bigger musky down there, Captain. um but so so what i've determined is the one i caught was the male and the one that was there the larger one was the female and they were spawning and so i i left that one alone i was not attempting to catch muskie and i wasn't targeting them it just happened to be what took place when i threw that lure into the depths but um it was an awesome awesome experience and i drove down the road and I, uh, I I had one lake left on my list, and it was a trout lake, Captain. So I had smally checked off the list from shore. I had a largemouth checked off the list from shore. I had a muskie, and I think it was hog lake. And I was gonna get of my course. I was gonna get me yeah, <laughs> I was gonna get my rainbow trout, but alas, the the soundtrack ended. And trout didn't want to eat my pink jig head and white twister tail. So maybe we've found a lure or found a fish that doesn't eat my secret weapon. But uh, <laughs> everything everything else uh, worked out marvelously for me. And, it, you know, it was just spectacular to, um, to be able to fish from shore. At this time of year, all those fish are shallow. And um, it was... Uh, tremendously successful, and I've I've had similar experience um, going up the Gunflint, fishing seagull and and sag and and poplar and some of those lakes from the from shore, catching northerns and and bass, and it's I, I think overlooked for the you know folks when maybe you're out and about and you just don't have a canoe, you don't have a boat, um, keep that fishing rod in the truck. There's there's adventure well, that no. waits. As as you were as the story was unfolding, mm-hmm. you were sharing with the world pictures of your success. Some of it, yep, yep, some of it. And uh, I you. noticed at the end, uh, you, you must have made a little more of a beeline toward ho- the home front because your bride asked you. Uh, <laughs> she noticed, and I think the text came back. The group text came back that Bob. 
There are fish biting in Bald Eagle <laughs> yeah. Lake, too. Yeah. yeah, well, my my freedom was maybe a little bit uh, broader. Your, your oyster my... was short-lived, that's what it well, was. Well, it was, it was a little bit, uh, uh, my window was broader in my mind than it actually was in my marriage. Uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, in my in my folks actually did beat me um, home from the U from the UP. Um, they, they t- my dad worked till uh, one o'clock UP time on that Saturday, and they beat me uh, to my house in uh, White Bear Hugo uh, before I made it home from <laughs> from that adventure. But it was worth it. Every uh, uh, frown from Meredith. Uh, there you go. <laughs> it was, it was just spectacular, Captain. You know, just traveling, and it was uh, part of it was, uh, you know, when we were talking with Steve Kleist about the Boundary Waters and different areas he wanted to explore more. And while obviously I was driving and I didn't get into the Boundary Waters, I was right on the edge of it, heading to where he pointed us towards that Isabella, Finland. And then as you head north from there, you know, not quite to the Sawbill Trail, but um, north through there. And it, it was, um, it, you know, compared to the Gunflint, the Sawbill, and the Echo, that, like, cut through, I don't remember the roads, 172 or something. That, uh, there's a lot less fishing press pressure, a lot less folks um, going in from that direction. Um, and, you know, it was marvelous. And I, I had lunch with uh, Travis Frank, who's... Um, we, Bob, we're, we're late for a break. We need to do that. Okay. Because we're cutting into our next guest's time, and we can get back onto this toward the end of the show if you've, if the memory will stay with you. <laughs> it might. <laughs> it might. Okay. Bob St. Pierre is in studio. I'm Billy Hildebrand on location. And our next guest, well, we're going to talk some... We're going to talk all kinds of things with our next guest, because Chicken of the Woods was a popular item in this cabin not very long ago. Dogs are always a popular part of our conversations. And oh, by the way, North Country fishing, well, that's what he's good at. And Bob has just left it, and I think he's wanting to go back. Matt Brewer, next on Fan Outdoors. coming your way until the 8 o'clock hour. Delighted to be here. Father's Day weekend this weekend. And, you know, Father's Day comes a little after Mother's Day. And looking at it, probably Mother's Day is is a, a, an important, important day. I think Father's, Father's Day is I think Father's it's Day important is also, but we'll try to give you some gift ideas if you're waiting for last-minute shoppers before the end of the show. You were going to say, Bob. Oh, I think Father's Day is next weekend. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. 
Well, then you've not last-minute shopping. We can give you some ideas. <laughs> well, unless I'm wrong, you got a week yet. You scared me. I was like, I don't have anything for my dad. Yeah, we got a week. We got a week yet. You see, I'm just not on top of some of these things. Um, I figure when you're a dad, you don't have to worry about it. It just kind of comes to you, and that's okay. Um but as we were uh, as we're trying to locate the bat signal is out for Matt we'll uh, we'll catch up with him in a very short time we hope and we did have his better half on the phone I'm told by <laughs> Travis and he she probably knows exactly where he is much <laughs> like somebody else I know um, so you've got to ask, you've got to, you got to answer the question I had about inquiring minds before we had to go to break last time. Were the bald eagle fish biting? Ah, uh, they were. Uh, you know, I've I've caught. Um, I was out on bald eagle last night, and they're still biting. Um, okay, size crappie uh, bass are biting. I I haven't had much luck with walleye on bald eagle, but. Uh, um, if you want to catch a meal of panfish, they're there. Ah, so the the pink jig and the white twister tail is a good choice for bets uh, for tackle out there <laughs> for crappie. And I caught a, a beautiful walleye in northwest Wisconsin on. Wait, do you have twister anything tail. else that you any other piece of tackle you take with you? Not anymore, Captain. Why, why do I need anything else? <laughs> I, well, it's just added weight. You know, it's a little like me and walleye fishing. You ride on you ride on top of the world for a period of time, and when the world turns flat, you fall right off the edge. Yeah, well, I'm just going to keep riding until I fall. <laughs> and we'll never know, will we? <laughs> no, my social media will tell you I'm still catching fish, Captain. <laughs> yeah, well, I ain't believing all that either. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, one of the things we talked about, uh, about young of the year and hatchlings and stuff, I'm seeing baby geese uh, wandering around with parents, and that's been for a couple of weeks now. They must begin the nesting process sooner than than some birds. Yeah, I, I don't know the the biology real well of geese, but I, I know you're absolutely right that um, they are some of the first birds to come back and first to nest. And um, I think some of those birds are, are are pretty well grown at this point too. I mean, they're starting to. I mean, they're not um, adult looking, but they're on their way. Well, the image that pops into my mind, which is one of the few things I can remember yet, um, the, is when we had a snowstorm a couple of years ago, there was a, a goose sitting on a nest, and we had a big snowstorm, and she was covered up except for her head sticking out of the snowdrift, and she was she was uh, sitting on eggs religiously, and she was not leaving. And I thought, wow, that is, uh, that's pretty special. Just the photograph was special, but to see that was pretty incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, and you know, you could have got that photo if you looked hard enough this spring, too. Uh, you know, when we had that snowstorm, there were a lot of geese back by that point in, uh, in late April, as, as well as all sorts of migratory birds that um, were stressed out by the added cold and snow. Well, you know, the other thing that comes to mind as we're kind of jumping around on topics, but the 
turkey season just wound up in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And the last season, uh, my oldest, Eric, had not filled a tag yet, and his plan was to go out and, and hunt. And he lasted part of two days. And the difference late season from early season is bugs. I mean, the mosquitoes were incredibly awful, he had said, and also it's so green that time of year with so much growing up. I've not hunted that late in the season. And I was reading some things, and I have nothing, and I know articles are, are written to be be sold, but it said that it was a really good time of year to go because the hens had been sitting and the toms are still uh, in search of love mm-hmm. and and looking. But the the idea of sitting there and waiting for them is an issue also. Yeah, Tom uh, Carpenter, who we've had on the show to talk uh, turkeys, and I work with in the office, um, um, you know, he... He definitely um, enjoys the later turkey hunting seasons. You know, he circles that week of say May fifteenth on the map on the calendar and, and and likes that. But he says, you know, the only reason he doesn't go later is because, uh, you know, how early the sunrise is as you head towards the end of May. You know, you pretty much got to set the alarm clock for. You know, three thirty in the morning, four o'clock in the morning to be out in the field ready for sunrise. But that's the only reason he doesn't target those late season um, dates because, just as you said, the many of the hens have been um, sitting on nests, and the toms are are maybe a little bit more susceptible to the call because they're you know they're not henned up so to speak. They're looking for. Um, looking for those final few few hens to breed with, and they can be can be very good turkey hunting if you're willing to get up super early. Well, you know, I I'll subscribe to the getting up super early, Bob. But the last two years, I have filled my tag, and I didn't get up until quarter to seven. 6.30, quarter to 7, and went out simply because I just couldn't roll out of bed that early. <laughs> yeah, you're living right, though. <laughs> I, you know, and but it was, it was, I didn't put them to bed, mm-hmm. and people always talk about that. The only I've only done that one time in my life, and that was in southeastern Minnesota when turkey hunting first came to be, and it was a real special tag to procure one. And... It didn't do me any good because down in the bluffs down there, uh, they fly across the ridges where it takes them about 15 seconds to get. It takes me a good two hours, and even then, huffing and puffing, and I couldn't have shot anything had I wanted to. <laughs> um, but it, it, there are birds to be shot later in the day, too, and mm-hmm. I've just not shot them later. I've just not had to sit for a long time and i guess that's just blind luck a little like you know that would be a little like me fishing for turkeys with a pink jig and a white twister tail fishing for turkeys huh? fishing for turkeys i mean if go. it works everywhere else they yep. gotta come up and bite it and i just reel them in yeah <laughs> but you'll force them um, to work you have to force them but it's great fun and i i'll stick to my thought about 
uh, people should, if they have not turkey hunted, should make plans to do so next spring because it's it, it just involves a, for my 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 hunting anyway involves a little bit of sitting. And that leaves out my co-host because he doesn't <laughs> like to sit for a long time. <laughs> like he can the, find morels, though. And morels, are they year. done, Bob, now? They, yeah, they're done. Not This year was tough, Captain. It was such a, a short window. I had a absolutely brutal morel season. But um, um, asparagus, much better for me this year. But morels were were very tough because it took so long to warm up and then boom heated up instantly and they were over in a matter of days and it was the same here i think i found 12 mm. all year and they were in the same place they are they have been in the in years past but what the boys did they came back and they had been out looking and they came across a log that was lying down that was covered from one end to the other with bright, bright orange chicken of the woods. Mm. And he, Eric cut, Eric and Chad cut some off and came back, and they had done some research on how to preserve it. And Eric said, we just took a little bit and then talked to the, uh, the owners of Birchwood Resort. We were up there for pizza. And um, Lisa, I think it's Lisa, she had said, well, I've not had that, but I'd sure love to try it. So the boys went back out because they didn't want to take it and waste it. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out two guys the day before, which was the same day they took some in the morning, had taken everything off that log and had gone away and sold it to some some guy for $7 a pound. He, in turn, packaged it and sold it, double, trip, doubled or tripled the price, sold it to restaurants in the Twin Cities, and they had taken, uh, they guessed, 40 to 50 pounds of chicken of the woods from that tree, hmm. and there was none left when Eric and Chad went back to get some to give. How did they, how did they know that uh, they had taken it and sold it? They must have ran into those folks, huh? They happened to run into them because they went back out there looking, huh. and the guys were still in the woods looking for other uh, forageable edibles, mm-hmm. and it sounds like that was, kind of, that was one of their sources, those guys' sources of income. Hmm. Um, but you're not supposed to sell things you get off public lands, but that's neither here nor there at this point. Um, it was uh, it was kind of, and we went out and looked at the log afterwards, and it, we could see. And I asked the boys how they could tell where it was, and and the reply was it looked like a deer hunter with bright orange clothing <laughs> on, lying sideways on the ground. Yeah, well, chicken of the woods is definitely one of those. Um mushrooms or forageables that uh, it's hard to mistake for anything else once you've identified it was pretty it. incredible yeah and and you know i've i've only uh, picked it a couple of times but it's um you know you pick the the young tender pieces and you cook it just like chicken you know and it's called chicken of the woods and you cook it like chicken put it with a little rice you do a a chicken fried rice recipe, and I'll be darned if that doesn't taste <laughs> like chicken as well. You know, it's um, it, completely different from what you 
probably would expect out of a mushroom, but a very, very approachable one. Interesting. Well, Bob, let's take a pause, and on our return, we'll continue our conversation. People want to join in, you're certainly welcome. 651-989-5326, Got some fishing conversation also that we can uh, we can broach a bit. And if the uh, bat signal doesn't work, we'll just keep bringing you the outdoors right here on the number one show for the outdoors, Fan Outdoors. We'll be right back after this. Seven o'clock. Fan Outdoors coming your way until 8 o'clock. Not many boats on the lake on this morning, on this Saturday. Looks like a very fishy day. And it's supposed to get to be, have a little bit of wind to later in the day also. That makes things challenging to say the least. And I know that there, there are a lot of people like some walleye chop. I don't care for a lot of wind whether it be walleye chop or a gale doesn't i'm i'm much more comfortable when it's more manageable but one of the things i have learned now too and bob st pierre will chuckle at this i can now sit behind the console and steer the trolling motor stop it and spot lock it so I can just do what I need to do and not have to wander around or stand on the foot pedal. It's incredible. <laughs> do you have... Although I'm still having to learn to steer it because I have a tendency to go, it looks like an angle worm going down the road, <laughs> down the lake. I, I suspect you have one of those uh, hand-free vacuum cleaners running in your boat, too, at all times. No, but I need to do that because <laughs> I looked at it yesterday. You know, it's nice and clean when I go, but after I'm on the water, it's uh, it's it's all business, and it does get kind of dirty. In fact, I had a pike on the deck yesterday, and I've got to get that slime off there, too. I just... <laughs> It's just, yeah, I, I need to get some water and a scrub brush. I'll get that taken care of a little later today and get it vacuumed before I hit the water, too. So our good friend Stan Tequila is listening this morning and writes, it's fun hearing us talk about mushrooms, and he has recently updated uh, his book, Start Mushrooming, which helps you safely identify seven common edible mushrooms, and this is important, Captain, and not kill yourself. It has <laughs> again identify seven common edible mushrooms and not kill yourself when you eat them. Uh, and he says that it does have chicken of the woods in that book. So there's another reason to go out and get a Stan Tequila book. His stuff is always good. I don't care what it is. And you know, I, I'll never forget a conversation we had on the air one time about uh, false morels. And I think Digger Anderson told us, if it's not hollow, don't swallow. Mm-hmm. And he's referring to the stem and also the uh, the mushroom itself when right. you split it, when you soak it. But I said, what happens if you eat a non-edible mushroom? Well, he said, not a whole lot. You just, uh, 
your kidneys shut down, your liver shuts down, and then you die. <laughs> Matter of fact, that well, hello. Yeah, and make sure you know what you're eating. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> um, but anyway, well, I wonder one of the things, in fact, uh, there was uh, on Twitter, uh, one of the listeners said that he's heading to central Minnesota, uh, central Minnesota Lake. And uh, looks there uh, wondering about uh, the chicken of the forest. Well, it's chicken of the woods. And the only, I had one here and it was more pale than bright, bright orange. But I had asked Matt Brewer about it, sent him a picture, and it was giant. And it wasn't here the time before, one on one of the trees. And it hasn't been here since. But I, uh, I cut it and I think I gave you some of that too. Um, the one you that did. Was here. That's right. That was maybe two years ago now. Yeah, I think so. Yep. But this that Eric and Chad found was totally different color. Totally different color, and it was bright, bright orange. And I really don't know a whole lot about it other than it was on a a tree that had been laying on the lying on the ground. And as we went out and looked at it, there was a small one coming up from the side, not part of whatever had been cut off already. So maybe we'll take a trip back out there and see if some is growing on it. So Chicken of the Woods is the bright orange version, and then there is a similar or related Hen of the Woods, which uh, it's just a little bit darker brown. It's also a shelf mushroom, and I think that's what you found um, a couple years ago. Very similar, similar in taste, um, just a little different in color, but again, they're shelf mushrooms, grow on the sides of trees, and um, just like it sounds, in in a shelf formation, as opposed to what you would think of with a morel or a portabella. Be a little different. Then if you don't know, I mean, don't eat it. In fact, uh, one of Eric's supervisors, her dog ate some mushrooms at their uh, their cabin in Wisconsin, and it got deathly ill. Mm. And nobody really knew what it was, but it was, you know, my Brits are out now in the yard jumping around chasing dragonflies. And as the bees come out later this summer when they chase that, they better have some... Um, Benadryl because they're they they will only chase one bee perhaps, and uh, there'll be a lot of head shaking. And when Snap did one earlier in her life, uh, everything swelled up, and we made the mistake of giving her two pills that I had instead of one, and she was like she was on speed, <laughs> and um, she survived. But we had a struggle that evening. <laughs> Snap on speed, Captain. That's a uh... That's times two in every sense of the way, huh? Uh, very much so. Very, very much so. Hey, if people are heading out, the, you know, and I think that we kind of take for granted some things that and, we have as treasures. Uh, well, we if we we have uh, we have finally connected with Mr. Matt Brewer, Captain. So let's. Uh, uh, we've got a few minutes left. We might as well uh, w- welcome uh, Matt all the way from. Say it for me, Captain. He's from Bermidji. Bermidji. It's probably barely above uh, the freezing point this morning, which is why it was uh, tucked into those covers so tightly. Good morning, Matt. How are you? 
Good morning. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Were you out hey, late Matt? fishing last night? No, I actually set my alarm and it never went off. So I woke up and I'm like, I should be on the radio right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, that's okay. And I, I know that um, my intention was to talk fishing with you. And you had a pretty please on social media to talk dogs. Was that uh, in jest or was that something you wanted to talk about? <laughs> no, just uh, if we were going to talk fishing for a long period of time, I was hoping we could cap it off with some good dog talk. <laughs> oh, we could talk a dog talk too. But just uh, give me this one fishing wise. What's the uh, how's the fishing up in the North Country? The fishing has been great. Um, we were off to that slow start this spring, and then once things kind of leveled off and got back to you know what I would say normal for the time of year. Um, water temps were normal, cabbage growth started, um, the walleye fishing really picked up and took off. The panfish bite was, was great early, but, you know, I, this is Minnesota, so walleyes are king. So everybody, everybody, that's all they really care about. So, um, you know, that was a slow start. Opener was really tough for everybody, but now we're, like I said, we're in full swing and, and, uh, the shallow water bite is really fun. Um, with cabbage growth around here, all of our all of our lakes are are kind of weed centric. So you're fishing shallow water pretty much all year. You can catch fish in the weeds in in four to six, four to ten feet of water, and uh, and that bite is really going good right now. So things well, are. Well, I things lied. I've got be. one more question. Uh, fishing walleyes in shallow water. How does one go about that, Matt? In weed water too. Well, there's a lot of different techniques, but right now the weeds are still a little sparse. You know, they're not super thick, so we're just pitching jigs and minnows, or we're trolling or drifting through the through the cabbage, and and you can work a jig and a minnow through it pretty good right now. But when it gets so thick that you can't work a jig through it anymore, then we'll start either casting or pulling crankbaits right over the top, um, trying to get a reaction out of those fish, so they'll they'll actually come up out of the cabbage. Uh, to hit it up high so it, it just depends on how thick the cabbage is but right now we're jigging a minnow and when you're pulling crankbaits how fast or what temper what speeds are you using are you settling in at well i mean there's no perfect science to it but like 0.8 to 1.1 1.2 <laughs> early in the early in the season and then as the season progresses we'll go uh like uh, 1.8 to 2.2, somewhere in that range. And and then when you get into the dog days, you can crank it up a little bit and speed troll and go like two and a half miles an hour. But but early in the season, you're going to want to go relatively slow, you know, right around a mile, mile and a half is, is about as fast as I would go. Um, that'll still get the crankbait running running pure, and, uh, and it'll allow you to catch some fish. Now onto the dogs. We being in the north North Country, aka North Country Guides, which is yours. Um, you spend an awful lot of time, and I know that you were talking waterfowl guiding a few years ago when we chatted with you. But Bob and I had an opportunity to get and hunt some sharp tail with you. Sharp tail 
Rough grouse were down compared to what the drumming counts were last year. How are the sharptail responding? Are they in pretty good shape? Last year was a pretty good year for sharptail. Um, numbers remained stable, which is about the best that we can hope for, you know, with habitat loss. Um, so anytime the, the surveys come back and, and we get that stable or slight decrease, um, you know, that's kind of a win for, for guys like me with the Sharptail Grouse Society, um, and as a sharptail hunter. But, um, you know, if we don't get CRP back and, and, and cracking like it once was, um, we're, we're never going to see that number increase. So, uh, right now, uh, you know, all we can hope for is stable, and, and we're kind of on that trend where things are kind of uh, stabilized just a little bit, except for that east-central population down closer to you guys. You know, there's still an old population of short tail that are huntable, um, but that population has, has really declined, and and that is on a steady steady down curve as opposed to the northwest birds, which, uh, which seem to thrive and kind of help level off the the loss of other birds around the state. So. If folks wanted to go to that northwest, because you're right, there are there's some birds in the east central, um, and some on public land, but it is pretty tough to find them. And I, I do sort of feel bad still hunting them down that direction because there just aren't as near as many as there are in the the northwest. Are, are there public land spots? in the northwest where, if, where a person could head that direction and hunt sharpies? Yeah, I mean, there are, it's as simple as going to uh, to the DNR website, and you can, you know, you can look up the, the public areas up in northwest Minnesota in the sharptail zone, and there are a lot of them. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> the, the sharptails seem to, you know, we every time we have trouble with something, uh, in in the wild, we think that you know they're getting smarter or they're intelligent, but realistically, they're not. Uh, our public land just isn't as as prime as as a lot of the private private stuff is. So, the majority of the birds, you know, the really 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 good huntable populations that you're going to see, you know, you may be driving around headed to a public piece and you'll watch, you know, forty short bees cackle over top of your truck when you're driving by. And they land in in a, in a pasture on some private stuff, um, but there are some you know smaller populations on the on the public land, and you know those birds are constantly bouncing around. They're they'll feed and and then they'll chuckle and fly away, and uh, hunter will <laughs> kick them up and miss them all, and they'll go go land on some public, you know, or a farmer will go drive his four wheeler out there or whatever, and they're always bouncing around, so. Um, you just gotta, you know, you gotta put boots, boots on the ground and you're gonna put some, as you guys know, you're gonna put some, some, uh, serious miles on if you're gonna have success. So get up there, walk them, you know, places like Caribou WMA, um, Mentor Prairie has some birds. You gotta be, uh, gotta be really careful in that area because of the prairie chickens. So, um, so it, it's kind of complicated and tough, um, but, but it's worth it if you you can knock a few on the ground. So. It is one of the cool things about sharp tails. You you mentioned uh, they chuckle and fly away because they do, you know. And a, a, a grou- rough grouse doesn't really, you know, other than the chainsaw like 
um, flush of their wings and, you know, a cackle of a rooster. You know, that chuckle does, or the sharp tail does have that chuckle as it's, uh, as it's departing, which is sort of like sticking the knife in when you miss. <laughs> see, see, I've kind of relented the other direction. Like, if I miss a rough grouse, I get really upset, and I, you know, I look at the tree that I shot, and I yell at the tree, like, <laughs> why are you in my way, you know? But a sharp tail, it's just open air, it's just you and the bird, and the bird gets up, and you shoot, and you miss, and you're mad for a second, but then you you can still hear that chuckling. I'm like, I'm like, well, yeah, you're right. It was kind of funny. And then I move on to the next one. So. Uh, Matt, that happens with Bob when he flushes a rooster pheasant on opening weekend, but the chuckling's not from the pheasant. It's from his partner standing behind him. I'm staying away from Bob this morning. I'm late. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bear. <laughs> Uh, um, with with the Sharpies, Matt, is it possible to hunt them without a dog, or is that a species that you benefit tremendously, like pheasants, from having a dog? Well, us three hunting them without a dog, we'd just, like, walk around in circles, and then we'd go to the diner and eat chili, I think. <laughs> There's truth in that. <laughs> but uh, it, it's possible. I, I, I wouldn't even know how to begin. I guess I'd just, like, start walking in a field and... I don't even know if I had to remember to load my gun, but you uh, you can definitely do it. You know, you get a, enough guys, and and you can push a field. But you know, if you're looking at a at a chunk of CRP or or you know some of the prairie up here that's public, it's it's some pretty pretty big stuff. And those birds, if you get them up and you try to rechase them, they're uh, they're going to be in some thick stuff and. Uh, you know, everybody hunts grouse, rough grouse. They're, they're probably thinking, ah, I hunt thick stuff. Well, you've never hunted like ankle deep water in, you know, willows that you can't find your way out of. So it's uh, uh. it's a, it's a whole different ball game. But uh, a dog is definitely uh, a suggestion, especially since the population isn't huge. Um, you know, we're not in Montana or or a place like that, so it's. Uh, needle in a, in a haystack type of thing so will the sharpie hold well for a pointer some days <laughs> okay <laughs> especially and some, early and some birds um you know you, you get the the right conditions you know good scenting conditions good wind um and you know you, you you're coming coming over over a crest or something and they're they're sitting right on the other side of the crest and if the bird can, or the dog can get on them before those you know that sentry bird there's always that one bird that's got its eyes to the sky and isn't uh isn't sleeping like it should be or isn't feeding like it should be it's always watching and if you can get on the birds before that sentry bird sees you they'll tuck down and hold pretty tight so like I said, you got to put a lot of miles on, and you got to really get used to that chuckle. <laughs> but uh, you do it enough, you're going to get some pretty points and and some easy shots that you probably miss. Matt, unfortunately, we are up against the clock, and we have to take a pause. But uh, I'd like to uh, embark on another conversation in the near future, if you don't mind. Oh, anytime. I love chatting with you guys. Excellent. 
And uh, how do people get in contact with you if they'd like to schedule some time uh, to get on one of the lakes up there? Just check out northcountryguides.com, and you can link up to all of our social media, my email, uh, phone numbers, everything is listed there. Excellent. And if you want to uh, uh, become a member of the Minnesota, Minnesota Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society or learn more, it's very simple, sharptails.org. That's it. Matt, thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. That's Matt Brewer, and he knows of what he speaks. In fact, we're talking a bit of foraging. If you would like to learn what's edible and what's not in the woods, Matt is your guy. He'll take you, and not only will you find edibles, but you will learn how to do it, too. That's one of the things that I find fascinating, but he is a man of many, many talents and an expert at all. And most importantly... We'll uh, we'll catch up with him again, not too far in the distant future, and he got a little more sleep today than Bob and I did. (laughs) And that's okay. We're going to take a pause. We'll be back with Tackle Terry. Yep, Pat Micheletti, Tackle Terry, next on Fan Outdoors. This is Fan Outdoors. Hey, and that. Twenty-five minutes after the hour of seven o'clock, Fan Outdoors. Two segments left. This one is, uh, every Saturday, it's uh, dedicated or given to Tackle Terry Tooman. He joins us this week. Tackle, good morning, sir. Good morning to you, and good morning, everyone. Hey, a gorgeous morning out on the lake. Well, Tackle, a little birdie told me that you are have discovered a new lake. And <laughs> I've got to think, a guy like yourself, you don't discover new lakes, do you? Oh, yes, I do. Well, it's not actually a new lake. It's uh, a lake I haven't been on this year yet, but uh, uh, I really enjoy fishing new bodies of water, Bill. So uh, tell me about it. You get onto a new body of water. How do you approach that? Well, generally speaking, you know, looking at a, a map or your uh, electronics and then just, you know, picking out the species you're going to pursue and then start to look for, uh, you know, for instance here, I'm uh, looking for, you know, weed edges. Uh, I'm fishing a bank right now and, you know, uh, places that are going to hold fish, if it's for walleyes or for crappies or whatever it is, just have a general idea where you're going to start to fish and then pursue that uh, plan. Do you start deep? Do you start shallow? Do you start just uh, in a weedy area? How do you go about that? Well, for instance, for a bass, I would uh, at this time of the year I would start looking for, at weed edges, and then if you could find some structure, I caught some fish off a small point, uh, right in running into deep water uh, with some weed growth on it. Uh, so that was a, a good spot. Uh, and generally speaking, Bill, you know, it's really you know depending on weather conditions, fishing pressure, the time of the year, and the species. You know, right right now you're going to start to see uh, you know fish moving into the early summer pattern, so that's going to change location. And I cannot believe also, too, how these uh, bodies of water have changed in water temperature. I, I agree, Terry. Yesterday morning I had 
I think it was the mid to high 60s, and it was mid 70s just a few days ago. Yes, and I was on the river a couple of days ago, and that dropped down to 70, Bill. And now I'm running right around 70 to 71 degrees on this smaller body of water. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Terry. Hey, one of the things that I always do, and I always did fishing uh, competitively when I got onto a new body of water, is find out where the weeds break, where are those weed lines, what depth they are, and that was always a pretty good indication. And then if you go in toward shallow water, you can find out where the inside edge of the weeds are also because sometimes I found those fish will relate to the inside edge, sometimes on the outside edge, on pockets on weed edges or on points on weed edges. But I love to fish deep water and stand on top of them and just fish them. Yes, I, I agree with you. In fact, I caught one on the inside uh, early this morning, uh, one on the inside edge of the weed line. Uh, but the other ones, all the other fish have been coming off right at the edge in about 9 to 10 feet of water. And uh, they're a little bit spooky, but it's uh, using both swim baits and wacky ones to catch these fish this morning. Does color make a difference, Terry, or pretty much you get it in front of them, they're going to bite? No, I, I really, I'm, I, if I get an opportunity, I'm going to try to switch colors. Just I'm using a green pumpkin right now and watermelon, and the, uh, the swim bait I was using sort of a shad colored swim bait, and uh, those two seem to be superior. But uh, I probably will try you know a different color just to see what kind of success if it's going to uh, increase the success or not being as good as the pumpkin. Earlier again, the pumpkin. Pumpkin's such a great color, Terry. I mean, it's a, and the green pumpkin also. It's it mirrors so many natural forage and uh, bait fish that are in the in the uh, water for those to feed on. Oh, there's no question about that. You know, uh, you know, even you know, if it's a tube or whatever, those colors are really, really, uh, very, very superior in catching. You know bass but even you know with some of the other species of fish it can be really really good but i think especially bull largemouth and smallmouth those are probably in the in our areas um the more successful colors to choose from but you can you know have some color with some of your blacks with you know blues with uh, red specks uh, to create some flash these also can be productive on given days earlier this spring i was in joe's sporting goods and i in a uh, i've i've always been Sort of a, um, a, a fishing rod snob from the perspective of one piecers. I, I didn't. I didn't ever want to buy a two piecer, but I picked up this nine foot two piece pan fishing rod from St. Croix. I grabbed it. I made the decision to buy it, and I was walking around the store, still looking at other stuff. And uh, th- no less than three Joe's employees came up to me. He's like, oh. You got a good one there. You know, they, they kept, you know, this nine foot ultralight pan fan. Three people just unsolicited come, oh, that is a good one. And I tell you what, when, when I have used that, um, this spring, not for captain, not with the white pink combo, but, um, really, really tiny, uh, the impulse, you know, the, if you remember those, Tiny minnow, uh, black minnow impulse um, jigs we've used in the past. You know, four-pound test with a nine-foot rod. I could cast at a country mile, which I couldn't cast with some of the other stuff. 
that nine foot rod makes all the difference for some of that little bait. What other uh, rod secrets have I not touched before? Well, you know, is it is there something else that I really need to own, not knowing until you know a few weeks ago that a nine foot rod for panfish is incredibly fun. Well, I, you're right. You know, uh, you, one, you can uh, cast further. Uh, usually they're going to have a, a very sensitive tip. And then also, too, is you have a tendency, especially with lighter line, to control the fish a little bit better. And but with walleye rod, I generally store with bass rod. I opt for seven sixes, uh, seven sevens, uh, seven fours, threes, usually over seven feet today. I really believe in the long rods. Again, as you mentioned, you can cast further. You can pinpoint your cast uh, more efficiently. Uh, there's a lot of pluses, uh, pluses to the long rods, even though there's uh, anglers, you know, like for jigging, for walleye, vertical jigging, they want to use a short rod. I really don't uh, believe in that. I think the longer rod with the more sensitive tip is always a plus factor. So is there any type of fishing these days where you gravitate towards that, that shorter rod? Not really. Uh, even, you know, uh, long lining or using left core, I go for eight, six rods or three-way silver rods, uh, three, uh, you know, long rods there again. Not, uh, generally speaking, no. Uh, the only uh, time frame that I possibly would even think of considering which I really have gotten away from was vertical digging over the side of a boat. Uh, you know, but otherwise, no, I generally have now used only long rods, seven plus rods. You know, one of the things though, guys, if I'm, if I'm pitching a jig into milfoil and things like that, just multiple pitches, underhanded pitches, I, I always use about a six foot rod because it's, it's hard to judge where that weight is going to fall if it's only going about six, seven, eight feet from you, and you want to put it in a, a in a spot a little bigger than a coffee cup, it makes a big difference because you can stop it, you can kind of aim it with the rod tip, and I, I can't do that. At least I can't with a, a real long rod. Well, I think you're exactly right there, uh, Bill. There's no question about that. There are certain applications where you don't need to, you know, or want to have more control, if you will. You know, using a shorter rod under those circumstances, absolutely. But that's really, you know, specific uh, applications, and it does uh, make a, a tremendous amount of difference where you don't need or want to cast a long distance. Yeah, I think for distance, you guys are right on the money, but there are times that a shorter rod, in fact, I watched a guy use a real short rod, and he was uh, uh, kind of arrowing a jig under a dock one time, and he could get it way further than I could, Mm. and uh, there was a lot of digging on my part as I'd hit dock posts. Well, you know, the one, a shorter rod is a little bit easier to bring into the boundary waters, but, you know, having that two-piecer does make it easier um, on yeah. those canoe trips as well, because uh, that's, that's you know, real susceptible for broken tips and different things like that when you're <laughs> poor. When you're portaging it, you know, we all know when you're on trips like that, there's only so much gear you can bring with you, and a lot of folks just have the one rod with you, and if you got that seven plus foot single single piece 
And you step you come on out with out. a six foot rod. Is that uh, what you're saying? That ain't so good for for fishing and putting shore lunch together. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, uh, another factor too, um, Bob, too, with the long rods, you know, especially for fishing uh, uh, sunfish and crappies, is that you can you know, even go beyond the nine foot rods, and I have a couple of them, even the eleven foot rods, two piece. But what you can do is you can sort of drop your baits right into these pockets, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with a real soft, subtle approach without spooking a fish, especially in the shallow waters, and that works very, very well for those. That's exactly why I bought that rod, thinking about crappies in those, you know, that cane um, during this time of year, where you can reach out and just sort of drop it in. Um, that was exactly the rationale. Um, but I just could not believe how big a difference it made, uh, that extra, you know, two feet on casting something so small. And like I said, it was, it was, it was comical walking around the sporting goods store with that, with that nine foot rod and people coming up to me. Oh, you got a good one. <laughs> well, that hey guys, you know, in the old days, they call those cane poles. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, really, I was just thinking of that, uh, Bill, too, that, you know, really that we haven't changed that much, you know, except for the cane pole, you didn't have a, a reel on it, right? But it was right. almost the same concept. And it, but it was just, now it's a lot more expensive. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and our graphite instead of the cane, right? <laughs> true. Well, Very true. You mentioned 11-foot rods tackle. I did not see anything over the 9-footer that I, I purchased. And you must have to special order something that large nowadays. Well, well either special order them or, yes, uh, they're probably, you know, uh, I would think that there'll be some sporting goods store that would uh carry the the longer rods, but also too what uh if you do any trolling for crowdies and so forth, those real long uh rods with you know obviously they're gonna have a very soft tip work extremely well also. Hmm. Like you're trolling, you know, jig spins or something of that sort. Uh, Terry, we we're up against the clock. We need to uh, we need to take a break. But uh, that being said, when you're on the water, your favorite bait you're going to use today? Uh, it'll be either the search bait or a wacky worm, or both. That's what I've been doing, alternating back and forth. But you can only fish with one, okay, because I was going to say, you can only fish with one rod in the summertime unless you've got a hole drilled in the bottom of your boat. <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, but, no, it's, uh, it, you know, hey, it uh, looks like the weather's going to settle down a little bit. It uh, was unbelievable thunder. I was watching for lightning. As soon as I seen lightning, I was going to load up the boat. But it looks like now it's settled down a little bit, so I can keep on fishing. Good for you, Terry. Hey, enjoy and catch a bunch, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Catch a lot of fish, and make sure you're ready some of those fish. There you go. Tackle Terry joins us every week on Fan Outdoors. We'll take a pause, and we'll get back, and we'll get to the rest of the story with Bob St. Pierre (laughs) on our return. We'll uh, give you some ideas about Father's Day gifts in a week, and if we have time, I've got a delightful carp story for you. And we'll be back after this for one more segment of Fan Outdoors. This is Fan Outdoors. Whoa, 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 
can make a living from walking in the woods You can bet I'd be sitting pretty good High on a hill, looking at a field downwind If I can make a nickel off of turning in bass Never worry about the price of gas I'd be wheeling and dealing and sitting there reeling them in Hunting, fishing, loving every day that's the prayer that a country boy prays Thank God he made me this way Hunting, fishing, loving every day Well, for the tournament anglers on this particular lake, I see some coming by and putting on red rain gear. There's a boat right in front, not catching, but he's preparing because as I look at the radar, we're going to get an abundance of rain soon. And everybody outside is going to find a downpour. Maybe that's what Terry was referring to, and it's just getting here. But under uh, relatively calm winds, I don't hear thunder, but I have headphones on. I don't <laughs> see lightning, which is the, that is my kiss of death. Because if I'm seeing lightning, I am hightailing as fast as that propeller will go around and getting the heck out of there because it's just, it's not worth that. And I've been in a couple of storms and never again, never again. So if you find yourself on a body of water and you, your rod tip is hissing when you put it in the air, if your line, your monofilament is floating, in the air and it won't come down or if the line on the spool of your reel appears to be bubbling get out of there because it could save your life because what's happening a friend of mine a science teacher told me one time the ions are polarizing and mother nature is getting ready to send a bolt of lightning your way Get out of there. What, the the bubbling line on your reel, what, it, describe that a little bit to me. I have no idea what causes it, Bob. All I know is that one instance, I looked at my reel, and the line appeared to be bubbling. Huh. And I said, hmm, this is kind of strange. And I put my rod tip in the air, and it went, Sss. So I put it down to go away, and I put it up, and go, Sss. And my partner looked at me and said, my line is floating in the air. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and just then, it was a flash and bang instantly and put both of us on the bow of the, on the floor of the boat. Huh. It killed all the electronics, and uh, it was just like you put your finger in a socket in a light socket. <sighs> and uh, hair was standing up on end, too, prior to that. Never again. And that's when I was called an idiot. And I'm just sharing that experience with some people. So um, keep it in your keep it in the back pocket if you're out in a, out anywhere, really, not just on the lake. But the lake, you're the tallest object in that area. So it's a good thing. And if the water, if lightning does hit the water, I don't know if fish float to the surface or not, but that would be a Jesse Ventura thing when he goes fishing with what he called a DuPont spinner. <laughs> and he pulled a pin out of a grenade he touted and drop it overboard. And he could pick the fish he wanted. I, that was a law many, many years yeah, ago. When he I, was I don't know that fan. story, but it, um, it sounds like Jesse. 
Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you had uh, the rest of your story. Well, I was almost done with it, but I was just I, I was relaying this story over lunch with our friend uh, Travis Frank earlier in the week, who's who's about the most knowledgeable musky guy uh, I've ever encountered. And I told him, you know, where I had caught this uh, this musky from shore. And I said, you know, it was at Dumbbell Lake. He's like, oh, that lake is loaded with muskies. You know, I had no idea. We were up in an area, or I was up in an area that just doesn't have a lot of muskies, and I hadn't expected it. And here Travis said, oh, yeah, absolutely, knew that. So the other piece of my story, when I was um, later in the week, I was in western or northwestern Wisconsin fishing, and uh, a storm rolled through one day, and, and Captain, you know me, I don't, I don't keep uh, fishing gear, uh, rain gear on my on my boat. So I, I just don't. You don't own rain gear. No, I I, I just don't fish when it's raining, um, whether there's <laughs> lightning or not. So I ended up in the uh, Hayward Fly Fishing Store, um, and I say, hey, if I wanted to catch crappies on a with a fly rod which flies should i should i use you know what you brought me right to captain a pink twist a pink jig and a twister tail <laughs> you're real close <laughs> real close he said these flies here any of them any of these four as long as you grab the pink ones <laughs> so I thought of you instantly. There you go. Crappies equal pink. So I was uh, completely unprompted, and uh, now now I have another uh, bucket list. Can go catch some crappies on the fly, which might happen in you know maybe an hour. Well, you know the only fish I caught yesterday was a northern, and uh, that was on a pink floating jig uh, tipped with a leech, a floating jig head underneath a lindy weight. And he swallowed my jig, and I wanted it back, but I didn't want it bad enough that I was going to cut him up and fillet him because I just didn't want to do that. Nor do I know the rules and regs for keeping northern now in this part of the world. It was just much easier to release him. I had him in the live well for a little bit, contemplating if I wanted my jig back. And as I looked down his gullet, he had swallowed it, and I thought, good for you, buddy. Happy jigging. And away <laughs> he went. All right, you teased uh, Father's Day as, as, the, as the father on this show, Captain. What, uh, what are you hoping to get this Father's Day? You know, I, I would like, and I think this is true with all parents, um, for your children to just either give you a call or to be in the proximity of you wherever you happen to be. Um, it's There's no greater gift than, than um, just the presence and the, the being together. And even if you can't be together, a phone call with some conversation uh, I think that's that's really important. And if you feel that you must buy a gift, uh, one of the things, you know, one of the things that that I'll uh, throw out there too, if people have ideas other than mine and yours also, Bob, tweet us. Uh, my handle is uh, Captain KFAN. Send me a tweet, and I will collect them 
and share with people next week on some ideas that other listeners may have that are different than mine and Bob's. Um, one of the things that I think make a wonderful gift for an outdoorsman in the family is a thermosel. And they've got some really neat, unique ones. I know that Debbie had given Danielle one at a shower gift from, uh, from herself, but it's shaped like a lantern. And it's a thermosel. And it doesn't look anything like a thermosel, but they do wonders for keeping mosquitoes away from a campfire or from a campsite and the, the very near proximity to you. And even the refill kits are, are really slick, too. What's your suggestion, Bob? Well, I would relate back to uh, our last segment. Uh, you know, this nine-foot fishing rod for panfish that I got, um, it is so awesome, Captain. I, I I think the longest rod I had before this was maybe 7.1 or 7.2, and um, it is so much fun to catch you know, a 12-inch crappie on a 9-foot fishing pole. Um, boy, that that would be right at the top of my list for, for picking up one for my dad. Well, and it probably is just as much fun catching a 5-inch crappie on it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's be this face it. Those 12, 12 inches are even more fun, Captain. Well, then I don't get to catch many. No. So. <laughs> and, and, so if, and if you're looking even higher... Uh, bigger, bigger, uh, bigger gift. Um, a Franke over and under shotgun is a is a relatively affordable over under shotgun for that dad that would like to uh, get a new pheasant hunting stick. Well, send me a tweet about your suggestions for Father's Day gifts, and I will share. We are out of time this morning. I want to say thank you to Matt Brewer for waking up, and we even though we allowed him a little bit more sleep. And uh, thanks to Tackle for joining us, too. Thank you for allowing Bob and I to travel with you. For our brand-new producer, Travis, job well done, buddy. For Bob St. Pierre, I will just say happy weekend, everyone. See you next Thursday night right here on Fan Outdoors. <laughs>